chapters of a gospel. And then at some point, somewhere down the road, somewhere in between 120 and 300, this 21st chapter got stuck on to the end of this story. Scholars disagree about whether it was the evangelist John himself who writes this 21st chapter or whether it was one of his devotees, one of his disciples who put this thing together. And we don't really have clarity about why. Like, why do we get this scene other than, you know, humanity loves the beach and loves fishing? So the first thing that we should note, if we're, if we're going to do the sport part of it, the trivia part of it, is that not all of the disciples are here. Um, this is still um, near post-resurrection. We don't hear as much anxiety and fear in John's gospel, which makes sense. It's the newest of all the gospels. Um, so some of that, that anxiety and fear that permeates Mark, Matthew, and Luke is dissipated. It's not completely absent. We hear in the disciples' failure to recognize Jesus at least some confusion, but most likely some anxiety. The story opens with six of the remaining 11 there on the beach, and Peter Peter does what we humans do when we're stuck or we're lost. There are kind of two human reactions to crisis. One is being paralyzed, just utterly stuck. If you think about it, like it's never the squirrel that keeps traveling across the road that gets run over by the truck, right? It's the one who's like gets halfway out there and then it was like, I think I've made a mistake here, stops to think, and then boom. That's one reaction. Peter has the other human reaction. I'm lost, I'm stuck, I'm confused, I'm anxious, better start executing on the to-do list. Like, I don't know exactly what to do, but I'm going to do something. I remember the proverbial wisdom coming from my grandfather who used to say, you know, Jimmy, do something even if it's wrong. And so Peter pops up and he says, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm going fishing. That's not why this is one of my favorite passages of the scripture, but it's a bonus, right? So Peter and these remaining disciples get in a boat, they row themselves away from shore, and they begin fishing, and they are unsuccessful. And then a man who we as the reader, we as the listener, know to be Jesus, but they don't quite yet know to be Jesus, comes and shouts at them and says like, hey, have you guys had any luck? Now here's where we need a little understanding about some of the trivia or some of the sport. It's very interesting uh, use of words that John's Jesus use here. He calls over the water like, hey, hey, guys, um, have y'all caught any prosphagion? 
which is, it is the word for fish, but it's also not the word for fish. What it really is, is the, the closest like wooden translation of this word would be like, do you have any food that has not been offered up as a sacrifice? It's like, hey, do you have any of that old stuff? Do you have any of the stuff that we're used to? Do you have any of the regular old everyday stuff? And their response is, nope, we don't have anything. And he goes, well, then do me a favor and drop your nets on the right side of this boat, sink them all the way down and, and see what happens. And then they pull up this great haul of not prosphagion, of ichthus, fish. Now, if you think like ichthus, I've heard that word somewhere before. What is that? What, like, where does that come from again? If you think, remember in the like late 70s, 80s, when like in, you were in carpool and in the back of the station wagon, that evangelical Christian mom had the fish on the back of her station wagon. Do you remember that? And then in like the late 80s, early 90s, people who think that Christians don't believe in evolution, like add a little foot and put Darwin underneath it, you know? So it's that symbol is the ichthus. And that symbol, especially for the early Christian community, especially for the Johannine community, it becomes, the, it's the first symbol of Christianity. Like before we really start using the cross, it's the fish that gets used. So what we need to know is we're like getting a trivial or sporty or infotainment uh, understanding of this story. The first thing that we know is like Jesus is like, you got any of that old stuff over there? No. What about the new stuff? Oh, the new stuff is plentiful. The harvest of this new way of looking at God is plentiful. And so the net's full. It's so full, they can't even bring it into the boat. So there are six guys in there, but there's so many fish in there that you can't even bring it into the boat. And then in that next beat, we get this really curious detail, right? Do you remember what it is? What? Yeah. 153 fish? How many? 154? No. 153 fish. And so we know when we study the Bible, when there are details like that, we have to look those up. You know, if there is some very specific name or some very specific number, almost always there is something going on with this number, and it requires a little more investigation. And so I did, right? I went back, and I was like, what do the commentators say on this? And let me tell you, the commentators say a lot on this 153. None of it is complementary one with the other, and there is some crazy stuff out there about 153 was like the opposite of like half a circle and the square root of that. And that's, that's how you get 153. No, like, okay. I like that kind of after the fact stuff is kind of fun, but here's the deal. Here's my favorite explanation of 153 fish. It says that John 
And John's Jesus, the commentator, the evangelist John, knew that fishermen like to exaggerate. And so they were very specific about the 153 so that you would know there was a lot, but there was no exaggeration whatsoever, right? So we know it was not, wait, 152? No. 154? No. 153. So they come on board, and there's this beautiful replay of what's happening, and it's an echo of that Thursday night. Here, what we're supposed to hear in this story as they begin to gather around the campfire and share breakfast one with another, what we're supposed to hear is do this in remembrance of me. And what we might hear from John's farewell discourse is, um, you know, when, when we've heard like the way, the truth, and the life, you know, you heard like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the way. This is the capital W way. This is how we live out the plentiful harvest by connecting one with another, by sharing a meal, by relating across a campfire. And it begins to happen. And then in, right in the middle of that, there's this beautiful interlude, this, in, this incredible turn of the story where it, it seems as if the other disciples, to some degree, have almost drifted away. It's like they're not even there anymore, and it's just Jesus and Peter. And we have this, this gorgeous exchange between the two where Jesus now recognized, now known to the disciples and to Peter, says, Peter, do you love me? And he responds, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus instructs him, feed my sheep. And then Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, I expect with a little more, a little more energy in his voice says, yes, Yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, tend my lambs. And then there's this third question, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds with the feed my sheep. It's this beautiful do-over experience where Jesus is giving us a sense that life Life, all that we do, all that we have done is covered in grace. You remember, it was Peter who denied Jesus three times. And Jesus comes back to him on this morning and gives him a chance to do it over. You see, it's all grace. Each of us, has an opportunity always to do it over. And Peter is the recipient of this gorgeous message. That's the sport or the trivia or the infotainment piece of this. 
But the work of the preacher, right, is to give you something to chew on this week, right here in our own lives. So as I set about to push myself back into the story this week, I was like, what is it? What is the nugget that is calling me, calling us to a deeper, more expansive, more grace-filled, loving understanding of how God intends for us to act in the world? And I just kept going back to that exchange where Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I do. And he says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. The work that we have of loving God is more than just words. It's more than just worship. We, as Christian people, as people of faith, as people who are seekers trying to understand spiritual depth and the trajectory of our lives, most of us, we come to a place like this, and we're like, ah, okay, I get it. I see it. Our life of faith is lived mostly like this. Okay, I see it. Yes, Lord. I love you. And I don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that this is unimportant. It's important. It's where we begin to make that connection. But do hear what I do intend to say. This, this, it's beautiful. It's lovely. It's amazing. And it's not it. This is not it. The way that we live out our lives as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, is by doing the work of feeding the sheep, of tending the lambs, of being present to the people who come our way those we know and those we don't know. Of course, we come to a place like this. It's a beautiful church with beautiful music, maybe slightly above average preaching from time to time. <laughs> Some lame humor. We come to a place like this and we meet God and it's real. And it's loving. But this church, this, even despite all that it is, this is not it. It is outside these walls and those 
doors and those windows. And so when I ask myself, what is it? What is it that the gospel demands from me? What is it that the gospel demands from us? This exchange with Peter gives us a clear understanding that it is the tending, the nurturing, the loving, the healing of those creatures, human and not, and creation that is meant to happen outside of these doors. Amen. Please stand as we say together the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, Father the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light,